The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at the School of Immunology in Trinity College and regular on this show, is here to discuss all things to do with vaccines, monoclonal antibodies, and most importantly, and I never thought I would say this, Luke, bats. Bats. Well, it's big news, Anton. Honest to God, I mean, over the weekend, big study. They've got the closest relative to SARS-CoV-2 has now been found in a bat, as, as we expected in a way. The previous closest one was 96% identical to the virus that causes COVID. Now they've got one even higher. And one of these viral samples that they isolated from a bat, it's called BANL236, is almost identical in its spike protein to the COVID-2 spike protein. So we're very close now to saying where this virus came from. It came so, from a bat for definite, of course, we feel, but now it's a very close relative to the one that actually infects us. Oh, but you're willing to double down now on the, the, the bat genesis rather than the possibility of it being a lab escapee. There's still a chance, of course, that someone took a bat sample into a lab and maybe was close relative to it. But at the moment, this strengthens the from the wild idea given that there's, there's people out there, Anton, amazingly called bat hunters looking to try to find the origin of the virus. It's in Laos, by the way. But the, the, these horseshoe bats, they live in these limestone caves in Laos and Vietnam and China. And they got samples from bats in, in a cave in Laos. And that's where they found this really, really close relative. So it's a big breakthrough, really, because now we, we're getting even closer now to the origin of this of this virus. And if, if the bat has it, how does it make the interspecies jump to people? Yeah, this is called spillover, is what they call this, by the way, when you go from one species to another. And many viruses start in domestic animals, like flu often begins in pigs or chickens, for instance. HIV was chimpanzees, jumped into humans, so it's called spillover. They don't know, it could have been a bat, uh, people collect guano, which is bat droppings from caves, that's quite a big industry there, it could have gone into a human that way, maybe, you know. Anyway, Whatever happens, someone went but into the But the route of transmission is like human to human. It could be you just breathe it in if it's in, in vapour in the air and yeah, that's yeah. it. It must have changed slightly from the one of the bat to make it more infectious to humans, mutated randomly. And now, by bad luck in a way, a human gets infected and that, that kicks everything off. And why is it advantageous for us to know where it came from? What Does it make any difference to our capacity to deal with it? The bit to stop, stop it happening again. I mean, this, this is the thing, you see. So obviously, if we know it came from bats and these, these limestone caves, loads of horseshoe bat, the horseshoe bat may be the actual host in the end, you know. And knowing that could be useful. Be careful, basically, then when it comes to, you know, in, invading their territory. The big question is, if you invade their territory, there's an increased risk. We don't want another one. The still a risk, remember, another coronavirus from a bat jumping into humans. So therefore, it's very important to track this down, really. If these bats have it, how is it that they are surviving it? That's the second breakthrough now, which is really important too. So, so bats tolerate these viruses and don't get sick. And what happens is it jumps into a human who's never had it before and we get really sick is the idea. And again, they seem to track down what's different about the bat that makes it tolerate. We, we use the word tolerance actually, tolerate the virus. And it's an inflammatory protein called NLRP3, which causes inflammation and it's broken in the bat. Right, so the bat doesn't get a massive inflammatory response in their lungs and then doesn't get sick. Now, we have a normal NLRP3, you see. Now, as luck would have it, I've spent the last 15 years working on NLRP3. Oh, how opportune. Yes, I know. <laughs> and our drugs, we developed ways to block this. So you can see where I'm going with this. We could easily give a drug that blocks that pathway to a human and you can tolerate the virus and don't develop severe disease. Now, walk me through this slowly, Look, How is it that having a slightly broken immune system is advantageous? Because surely the virus just goes rampant within you. 
that's it's the inflammatory part of the immune system the bit that can get mischievous if you like is broken they, they still have a normal immune response to the virus and can clear it but it doesn't go into overdrive when you get infected and you get really severe disease this part of the immune system goes absolutely ballistic for some reason in humans and it involves NLRP3 so it's very clever in a way you maintain your immune response but you dampen down the untoward inflammatory process in the bat and NLRP3 is now dialed down now if we could dial down our NLRP3 this could be a real way to stop COVID so does that mean that for humans humans, part of what makes COVID so critically dangerous is actually our response to it rather than the virus itself. Absolutely, yeah. It's your own inflammatory response that goes out of control, really. Now, inflammation is good normally. It helps fight things. But sometimes it goes out of control and causes damage. And then in the case of COVID, your lungs get damaged and NLRP3 could be the key switch. Bats must have evolved out of this. They modify their NLRP3 through evolution, you know, to tolerate the virus. And now we see the bats today are the descendants of those that that modify their NLRP3. We, we, have, we haven't evolved quickly enough, if you know what I mean. Eventually, we could evolve out of a potential like bats and modify NLRP3. But at the moment, the NLRP3 is normal in us, you see. So. And if, and obviously I realise there are a lot of caveats to be wrapped around this, but if that turns out to be the case, how does one modify NLRP3? Is yeah. it a pill? Is it's it a pill. Yeah, yeah. Many, many companies have developed. See, the other thing is, Anthony, that's amazing. NLRP3 goes out of control in inflammation in the lungs in COVID. It also goes out of control, for example, in Parkinson's disease in the brain, which is an inflammatory reaction there or in asthma, for example, or in colitis. And of course, the blocker of that pathway then is very exciting anyway. For many situations where inflammation goes out of control, if you like, COVID is yet another example, I suppose, of this protein going rogue, you know, is the way to think of it. And lots of drugs, including our own one, if I may blow our own trumpet, the one that we were able to develop, that's now in clinical trials in some of these inflammatory diseases. And guess what? There'll be trials in COVID with NLRBC inhibitors. This brings us to the matter of COVID treatment, because obviously we've talked a lot about vaccination to prevent it. There is a bizarre trend now in America of people. Now, obviously, there is treatment for people who have acquired the disease, but there is a trend of people who have decided not to get vaccinated, but who now want monoclonal antibody treatment, which is hugely invasive by comparison to vaccination and hugely expensive. You've got it. There's a major, amazing piece, New York Times. That's where I got this from, by the way. And a good friend of mine, Manus, give, give him a shout out. Manus sent me this. And it's a fascinating piece of journalism, right? So these monoclonal antibodies, Trump took them, for example, Regeneron, make one type, for instance, you know. And yet people who won't take a vaccine are prepared to take these monoclonals and they would have similar issues if you're against vaccines. You know, they're human made. They were developed quickly. All the usual criticisms apply to these antibodies. And yet the ones who are denying the vaccine are happy to take the antibodies. Now, you might think this is good in a way because they're saving their lives, by the way. These antibodies work great. 70% decrease hospitalization. They're 100 times more expensive. They take 90 minutes to administer by an infusion. You need specialist nurses. It's a huge drain on the resources, whereas a vaccine would be, you know, much more cheap and much more effective. So doctors in America are scratching their heads. And in, saying, in rudimentary terms that I can understand, are they? it's essentially like priming a pump. You, you build the antibodies and put them into you so yeah. your body doesn't have to build them. It's called passive immunity. So so the vaccine actually brings out the antibodies and they defend you, you know, and you keep making them when you're reinfected. In this case, you're just using the antibodies. It's a one-shot thing. Your body can't make them. It's, it's a, you know, you make them in a lab base. They're, they're, they're made by drug companies, another thing that people criticise. So drug companies make them, you, they, you inject them into your body and they mop up the spike and stop you getting really sick, basically, you know, but then, then they go away. Unlike a vaccine which will protect you, you know, and will stop you spreading it, more importantly. So if you take a vaccine, I mean, there are people getting infected with the vaccine, but still there's a decrease in transmission with vaccination. 
situation. So, so doctors are in America. Some of them are going, "What's going on?" They're mystified by this. Now, it's the southern states mainly. You know, they've used a million doses have been used of these antibodies. For example, huge demand. A million um, doses at ninety minutes of infusion yeah, for each. At two thousand dollars a pop, can you imagine? The Biden administration is putting up uh, one point one hundred and fifty million to help start paying. So you can get it for free, by the way. So the Biden administrations are going to pay for all these antibodies to be. Yeah, and you can't deny people treatment either, by the way, obviously. But it's just the same. The vaccine is cheap as chips. You know, why would you not take a vaccine? Because surely your criticisms will be similar as you have towards the antibodies. So the federal government could end up picking up a tab 100 times greater because of, in some instances, personal choice. I don't want the vaccine and you have to treat me if I get it. That's right. And what's happening, it's very simple. The numbers are amazing. And this is stopping people dying. These work really well. The death rate in America will be much higher if they weren't using them. So they're a great thing in that regard, you know. But again, the mystery is the greater than the line I saw one doctor say was it's like you take out car insurance and you remove the brakes on your car. It's that kind of, that's the way the thinking goes. You know? so, so it's very unusual. Now, of course, what they're trying to do is say, please take the vaccine because we'll save loads of money. It, the, the, your, your, your concerns about the antibody would apply to the vaccine anyway and vice versa. And you'll dodge a 90-minute infusion. And you will dodge. And, the, and, and, and in Houston, they've had to convert gyms into, to make them uh, to be able to deploy these antibodies. Huge resource demand. Nurses are being transferred out of surgical uh, rooms into these facilities. Just to, the, the demand is so high there because there's so much infection going on. So again, it's a real puzzle, isn't it? Before I let you go, I have text asking, can you ask Luke his opinion on the current situation in Israel? They're going through a very heavy fourth wave despite very high vaccination rates. They are, that's true. The case rates are up there, but again, hospitalisation's down. So that's the good news in that regard. Clearly Delta, and the problem with Israel was, Anton, there was a three-week gap between the two Pfizer shots. That might be slightly too short. In the UK, it was nine to 12 weeks and, and, and there's less waning happening in the UK. So sadly, Israel might have been a bit quick off the blocks but but the good news again is hospitalizations are low you know so even though the case rates have shot up and the surges there but case numbers the, the level of hospitalization is being is, is is low because of the vaccination and then now of course they're starting their booster campaign i think that they've boosted like three million people already in israel if you can believe it so they're really ramping up the uh, the third shot at the moment and of course as with all things COVID, huge amount of data to research as that goes on and we will get the latest from from you of course throughout that process that's luke o'neill professor of biochemistry at the school of immunology in trinity college now 